This is The Lonely Office, and this is your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real, anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities, from how to get fired the right way, I know about that, to whether HR is actually your friend. We discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone. This is a story about Dylan. Uh Dylan is in the process of getting fired, and he doesn't know what to say. He's in shock. Mm -hmm. He actually had to hold back tears. And he's not even getting fired in person. This is all happening with his boss and HR on a remote call. Dylan freezes during this whole process, and he just nods his head. He doesn't ask. He doesn't inquire or attempt to negotiate a severance. His company says... He's being let go because of unforeseen budget restrictions. But they tell him to make sure and check his email tomorrow because they'll be sending him something as a token of their appreciation. (laughs) The next day, Dylan opens up his email. It says, thank you for your service to our company. You've been like family to us. As a token of our appreciation and at no cost to you, We've enrolled you in a premium career services subscription where you can learn best practices for re-entering the workforce and how to brush up on your resume. <sighs> this, Matt and Leia. Wait, 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 wait. What else is in the package? Nothing else, Matt. There's no way. So it's a premium career services subscription, which is like a fancy <laughs> way of saying we're going to brush up your LinkedIn profile. Is it like LinkedIn premium? Is that what they sent him? I am not at liberty to say what it was. You know how we operate here, you know, Pulitzer Surprise winner. I can't reveal (laughs) everything, my sources. But listen, I'll just say this. It was a premium career services subscription. He was working there for 14 years, right? He's a 14-year vet? No. No, not 14. We don't know how long. Okay. We don't know how long. It doesn't say how long. Okay, got it. This was his first job, though. It's a big deal to him. Yeah. He was clearly a valued member on his team and was productive. Who knows? But listen, Matt, I want to get your first response to this story. Yeah. And then let's just dive into this, because I know there's a lot of people listening right now. Like, we've all been fired. We all know what that's like. But there's a way to get fired, how to get fired, how to navigate this, how to handle it. And also the salary negotiation thing. I think there's a lot of value here. So can you set the stage for us just a little bit based on Dylan's story? Help Dylan. Yeah. Help him in his next situation. It goes without saying, Dylan's package or the offering that the company is providing feels underwhelming. I think what's more sad about the scenario that you painted is, or was, that he didn't really put himself in a position of leverage or even a position to discuss it. He just took it for granted, nodded his head, and waited for the email to be sent. And if there's anything to be learned, we should definitely get into what you could do potentially in the future if you were Dylan prior to receiving that email. But why don't we set the stage here? We've been going now through almost a six to eight month period of what you can call really a market correction, right? So the hiring binge that really no industry was immune to now, whether it was the services side or the consumer side or industrial side, tech companies, financial services companies, all overhired during the cheap capital and sales growth pandemic boom. And in the last six to eight months have been basically unpacking or unwinding a lot of that hiring in the form of, of layoffs some stats. Just in the last four months, really, you had in the tech industry in January, almost 85,000 employees laid off. February, another almost 40,000. March, another 40,000. And April, another 18,000. 
of course, name brand tech firms like Google, Facebook, Meta, but also startups, right? This is not only tech. If you look at Wall Street as well, there's been a number of layoffs now announced by Morgan Stanley, Citigroup. On average, the Wall Street banks expanded their staff by almost 20% and now have been laying off upwards of 5,000, 8,000 at a time. So there's just this massive unwinding that's happening. That's kind of sad because clearly there was a hiring binge and maybe you can point to some fault there at the companies and not steering the ship properly and seeing it. So this is real, right? Everybody's either experienced it themselves or via a friend or a second degree friend. And I think it makes it kind of very timely topic for us to talk about how can you prepare yourself? How can you put yourself in a mindset to maybe to optimize your scenario and not be a Dylan, frankly? Why don't we quickly introduce Leah Ova? She operates a viral working humor corporate mother account on TikTok and Instagram. She's also been interviewed by the media extensively on topics having to do with corporate humor. And we've enjoyed working with her so much. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we have her on again. <laughs> Thank you, Leah. No, I'm happy to be here always. And yeah, only occasionally viral. Not all the time viral. Only occasionally. <laughs> Matt, you did a great job of kind of setting up the state of getting fired, which, by the way, the state of getting fired has been happening for a long time. But you're right. There is a newness to what's happening currently, the way that it's happening, the dynamic of the hybrid and remote world and how people are getting fired, right? Dylan's caught by surprise. Dylan's like, I've been working my ass off and I'm performing. He doesn't see the unforeseen circumstances. But maybe let's dive into there are a group of people, right, that sometimes want to get fired. <laughs> Let's peel back that onion a little bit. Maybe something people always like to talk about. Yes. I frankly do know a few friends who work for different firms, sometimes financial services, sometimes tech, where they took up the companies on the severance offers. I mean, this has been in the news and media, right? So I think Facebook, a number of other tech employers before announcing layoffs actually gave voluntary severance packages for those employees who wanted to take them. Having launched a few businesses before, there's never a perfect time to kind of launch that pet project of yours or that wacky business idea or maybe a company venture. You're always projecting out and coming up with random hypotheticals of when and if and how. You're sitting and, on a gold mine, Matt. <laughs> or presumably a gold mine. And so one scenario where for some of the, my colleagues, for example, who might have taken it is, hey, this is maybe a way to de-risk the venture starting process and de-risk it and maybe even get paid in the meanwhile. That's one scenario where I do think some folks choose to get fired or take that severance package. Leah, do you know anybody who said, listen, I got this big idea. I've been working on the back channels. I've been burning the midnight oil, as they say. And now they're looking at like, hey, maybe it's bare minimum Monday. Then that turns into quiet quitting. <laughs> they're looking at some capital infusion for their business and they know they might negotiate a severance. There was definitely a period in deep lockdown and I will say I had kind of a nightmare boss where I was ready to get laid off just to take the severance and just because the market was pretty hot at the time as well. But then yeah, there's always that fear, like, what if I don't find something? Going to lose my insurance, all of that. So I've never been fired. <laughs> I've only had whoa, a freelance whoa. contract in this. You've never been initiated. <laughs> okay, that's, that's So weird. when I kept saying everyone's been fired, I was wrong. You kept wrong. saying it, I was like, I'm not going to say anything. But <laughs> you got to say it. like the a you problem. But I have a lot of friends who are like some of the best people I've ever worked with who have been laid off. And I've obviously lived through rounds and rounds of layoffs between the last recession and the most recent round. So I know lots of amazing people who have been laid off and some people who have been fired for calls. 
like I think this speaks more to Matt and I rather than <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, you get fired all the time. Like <laughs> we'll have no. to do another podcast of how to survive firing. <laughs> Matt, you spark something. And Leia as well. We all have worked for bosses, like you said, that are just, it's almost difficult. The energy's not right. It's just not a good fit. Or they're just tough to deal with or micromanaging. But I would say I've never purposely planned that either. I have more in common with Dylan and everybody else. When I mean, right. up until the last like 10 years, I'm not negotiating. I'm scared. I'm crying during the, I'm just a disaster. But I would say there was a time recently before I went and started my own business two or three years ago, it was the last place I worked for because it just so happened that the severance package they offered me and I was able to negotiate also fell in line with being able to acquire some of their clients that they were actually letting go because they were ending services for that line of production. Ah. Mm. And so it just so happened that I was like, oh, not only that, I got a little bit of startup money here. The other piece too here is, I think inherently founders are, are a bit of corporate misfits. They don't fit well in traditional firms and you know the way work gets done there. And for that reason, looking for an exit. I've definitely worked with someone who kept telling us about the other jobs that they were interviewing for <laughs> mm. and was eventually let go. And I absolutely, that was what they were working toward. Okay. We know that there are these outliers of folks who are kind of looking to be fired or figuring it out, using it way tactically to start a new business. But then for the majority of people who most of the time it's either you're terminated without cause, or at least you don't think you should deserve to be fired, or with cause, like, I'm done here, I'm phoning it in. Shouldn't we, before we get into those two, in your life, in your work, across whatever you've done, are both of you always planning, even when you feel secure for the exit ramp? Mm -hmm. Is that just being part Sicilian and I don't trust anybody? <laughs> I mean, remember, Dylan, this is his first job, though. I think there are signs from senior leadership, if you're observant of, about what's going on around you and how people are responding right. to you, there are always signs. There's always something. And if it's a publicly traded company, sometimes there are, depending on the market and stuff, there are notifications that go out in the news that there are cuts planned or whatever it is in earnings reports. I don't Maybe I'm just way too deep in the weeds. If you're working for a public company, lay a spot on. I mean, they have to meet their own expectations from an analyst perspective and return value to their shareholders. And so if they're not meeting those expectations financially on a quarterly basis, or you start seeing deceleration or even just outright decreases, that's almost like the writings on the wall. Yeah. And the companies I've worked with historically that were public, you could use that as a bit of an indicator. It was never a certainty because you never know what the CFO and the, the team is thinking. But the easier data to perhaps get to is just the way you're perceived. There's always like this idea of the way you perceive yourself. And it's sometimes a big ego hit to realize that you see yourself and your productivity in a certain way. And then I think that's why firings are so hard when they're not expected. It's that you perceive a certain value and productivity you're bringing to the enterprise or a company, and then you just get slapped in the face because like, nah, this other person doesn't feel it. And so it's really hard. I mean, it's inherently emotional. It's inherently full of ego. I think the reason why it's so emotional, I can relate to Dylan because at 25, I'm straight up, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> And I'm under the myth, and I'm not cynical, but I'm saying there is a mythology around if you work hard here and you put your head down and do what you're supposed to do, if you're the best worker there, if you produce the most, therefore you get this. Now, maybe that story was true for generations before. I believe what Dylan didn't have was the awareness that you're talking about. 
there were probably signs right. happening. There are always signs. That led to this, right? So he feels, and I've been there too, where I'm like, this is out of the blue. Well, it's out of the blue because your head's down, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, and you think they're your family. Yeah. To be fair to Dylan, this new remote setup makes it that much more difficult to read the social signals. So you still have the public data That's signals. That's a great That's point. True. But not all companies are public, so you can't rely on publicly available data to see how the company's performing. And if you're not, then, oh no, likely, let's face it, you probably have a CFO who's going to stand-ups and sugarcoating, then all you have is a social signals. And here you are dialing into Zooms and, and Microsoft Teams and Slack. I don't know how you get that signal. No, that's a really good point. You're not seeing the suspicious leadership meetings that are happening, people flying in from New York and Tokyo and wherever else because yeah. you're at home. I mean, the other advantage, though, if I was Dylan and I was shaken and about to cry on a call like that, the good thing about being on Zoom is just I, turn off your camera and your microphone. There man. you go. They don't deserve to see your reaction. They know you're there. That's what I would do. I never get on a call with a lawyer that's video, unless it's, he's my own personal counsel. I mean, half of lawyering is negotiation. And, and so why give them the yeah. video cues? So why give the HR person video cues? Absolutely. Turn off the, we can get into this and some of the tactics you can take. I think that's a good suggestion is, is turn off the video. There's no need for you to be on the video if it gives you more confidence just to speak with audio. Real quick, I did want to say the last scenario we have here, it's kind of a comical one. It's increasingly true. So look, apparently there's this trend. I'm sure if you have access to the, the IRS payrolls, you'd see it. But like people taking on secret second jobs, right? I would imagine engineers are probably the biggest culprits here where they so. take on two full-time jobs, right? They're working for, I'm not going to say any company name, no, working no for names, company please. X that maybe. <laughs> 200,000 plus employees and they just get lost in the maze and they're only being used 20% of their time. And so like, hey, yeah, I'm going to give my other time to a startup full time getting two payrolls. And so I don't think this fits in with Dylan because Dylan's a writer. I don't imagine he's another full time job. But maybe one of the reasons you want to get fired is you find yourself like just drowning and so you seek to get fired from one of the two jobs that you got hired for in the first place. That's kind of definitely a new modern economy problem, I would say. It's got to be software engine developers. I can't even imagine doing it in like some sort of client-facing role where you're in meetings all of the time. You have people calling you and you heard the people at, I guess we're not naming names, one of the big social right. networks that had layoffs recently. Apparently, there was this whole class of people who had been hired during the pandemic who just didn't have work on their plates. So, I mean, they could have easily picked up another role and just coasted. If that's meta, you could talk about that. That's public. Oh, okay. We can talk. We're allowed to we talk can about meta. Facebook what we want. There are Reddit <laughs> forums dedicated to these folks too. If you're one of these folks, you have your own support group on Reddit and I wouldn't be surprised fishbowl. It depends on the type of job, right? Like you have to have the bandwidth. It also depends on the type of person. In relationships, I'm married. You'd never have to worry about me cheating. Not only because I think it's wrong, I can't handle the multitasking. <laughs> I can't multitask. <laughs> so holding two jobs, it's like leaving the person that you've been cheating with, and then you gotta like quit there, and then somehow seamlessly get back into the relationship without them noticing. Too much drama. But listen, if you're able to hit those deadlines for the actual employer and you're giving them full value, more power to you. Yeah. And I yeah. think the remote setting allows for that. All right, so you're Dylan. You might be shocked, but here's the reality. You've been fired. What now? Maybe where we can start, Matt and Leah, is the reality that being fired is all about 
leverage and power dynamics. Where do we start with understanding power dynamics and the potential to leverage a severance package or even just the conversation to make it move in a way that could be beneficial? Yeah. So let me start off by saying I've experienced both sides. So as an operator, employer kind of have a perspective here, which could be helpful for the other side, the employee who has to go through this and negotiate it. And then I've also been through it in my early career as an employee too. So have gone through this personally from both perspectives. And you're right. So before you get into the record of performance, which we'll get into later as part of the process, which is there's a subjective record of performance, which is the way you perceive. And frankly, sometimes the employee, like I said, knows they were shitty. And so like, we'll talk about that. And then there's the objective record of performance and there's cultural fit. But before we get to those three, the psychology, I think there's this tendency for the employee or the professional, particularly if they haven't been through this before, to immediately jump to the record of performance, the data points. Well, let me see how I perform. What were my reviews like? No, first recognize that there's basic psychology at play here. And the psychology is very much about your mental framework you're approaching this negotiation with. And I would venture to guess that the vast majority of professionals who go through a termination with or without cause just immediately assume that the company has all the leverage. They're the one who's paying the wages. They get to determine everything. They literally have all the leverage. And I think the first thing is to instill a little confidence, say, hey, slow down. The truth is you actually have a decent amount of leverage and you can give credit or nod to, and I'm not saying this positively, kind of the litigious land that the United States of America is, right? I mean, when you start recognizing that from a, a legal liability perspective, all the liability almost all of it lives on the company, not yourself. And the vast majority of companies don't want to deal. It's not even about the company believing that, for example, a litigation is being brought to them. They don't even want the prospect of it. And so they're looking to get all of that waived. So if you start recognizing that you actually have some level of leverage here because the company doesn't want this liability, and you just look at the litany of acts that have been introduced by Congress over the past 30, 40 years, you have, and I'm just going to rattle off, there's a litany of them. We've talked about this in previous shows. I think the Unlimited PTO is a scam show we talked about. You should check that out if you have it. Age Discrimination Employment Act. Basically, amongst the provisions that you're safeguarded through legislation is you cannot be discriminated against because of your age, namely 40 or above. Title VII of the Popular Civil Rights Act, of course, prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, sex, origin. There's even something called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. You cannot be discriminated against because of your genetic code. I don't know how companies would get access to that, but in the scenario, they read your 23andMe profiles illicitly. So there's just a litany of stuff that companies- Related to Sam or something? (laughs) Right. There's just a litany of stuff that companies can be presumably sued. And ultimately, of course, any severance package that you do sign- you're going to be waiving all that. It's not that you necessarily have all the leverage either, but just start recognizing that the company actually has a liability here. They want to dismiss that liability. Let me approach this as a negotiation. Let me not approach this as a Dylan where I'm just going to be emailed it. I'm going to actually inquire. And it might be just something as simple as that. So I think the psychology piece is so important before you even get into the record of performance. Like I said, most professionals just slide right over that. I don't think anyone should sign anything right in that moment. I think it's completely fair to say, hey, can I take this away and look at it? There was a moment where I thought I may be part of a layoff, and I was ranting to a frankly terrifying lawyer friend that I have just over wine. And I was like, I, you know, and this is going on at work, and this is going on, and this is, and she was like, oh, 
oh, hell no. <laughs> that sounds like a hostile work environment. Don't sign anything. If you get pulled into one of those meetings, I can put together a very terrifying response for you and we can get you whatever it is, six months severance. And who knows if I would have actually gone through with that. It never happened. But I mean, the last thing the company wants is to have to deal with, yeah, any sort of lawsuit from you at all, especially one that airs out all of their dirty laundry, especially if you've got it in email or on record. I'm not saying you should threaten the company. Right. It's not something I've done. <laughs> Matt looks horrified, by the way. On video. <laughs> I'm just saying. The only thing I can think about right now is how I can design a time machine just so that I can take what I've gotten here from the lonely office and go back to my past self. I'm showing up like Marty McFly in the DeLorean <laughs> and I'm going, Aaron, back when I'm in my 20s, listen to the Lonely Office. Po- yeah, what is a podcast? Uh, you'll learn in a while. Isn't it radio? There were no, it's not radio. In 2006. We call those internet radio. Those were just guys. It's yeah, still, it's still people in their basement like me. <laughs> it's just, a, it was a different thing. It was like the Art Bell crowd, UFO sightings and stuff like that. No, seriously, both of you really just talked a lot about the awareness of a potential negotiation, just the fact that you're thinking about your legal rights, just the fact that you're doing that and knowing that there's at least some room to consider a negotiation, I can identify with Dylan. I think most people can. If you have kids, then you're a single mom or single dad, you're scared. And when you're scared, we get caught up in our emotions and our thoughts. One of the things I wish I would have done was not bought into this idea that we're all together in this thing. When they're bringing you on and they're talking about culture, they're saying, we're family. Matt, we've talked about this. Ohana, right? At the end of the day, you're firing me. You're not my family. Right. And then there's a hurt there. And I think that sometimes cripples people's ability to negotiate properly. So is there a way that you might start a position with a different mindset than a Dylan or an Aaron who went in thinking like, yeah, I'm part of the family now. It's like, no, you're not. You're on a raft and you're out at sea. First off, I have a lot of respect for Mark Benioff, so I think we should leave him and Ohana out of this now. (laughs) Ohana is Hawaiian for family, and it's a metaphor that Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce, or is he the former CEO of Salesforce? And founder, yeah. A lot of internal branding around, I mean, he apparently has had a life-changing experience in Hawaii, and there's a lot of branding internally around how they're a family and... I mean, I think one thing, and I know, Aaron, you were talking about how to go into a job with that sort of realistic approach. You need to keep reminding yourself when you're in a meeting like that, that even if the person who is letting you go does truly care for you and does feel like you're their friend or family in a way, they've been given a script by the company because it is a business and they've been told this is what you need to say. And often you need to tell, say, Dylan, we'll pay him out for the rest of the month if he signs this paper right now in this meeting that he's not going to sue us. Let's try to push him to sign the paper right away because this is the best deal he can get anyway. And maybe the person who's firing you or laying you off has been told like, this is the best he can get anyway. A lot of the time they're just representing the company and they probably don't want to be in that meeting. I like the idea of this, hey, we're a family thing, but is it a non-starter? That's not really what it is. Let's just be honest. Let's put our cards on the table here. This is a business relationship. And family is different than business. I think the mistake is seeing the business as the family versus the relationships with the people Mm. perhaps foster and nurture over the course of a year or two years as family. But back to the original point, which is companies, I mean, Salesforce is the poster child for this, have encouraged 
branding. I mean, use the word branding, Leah, you're right. They've used this idea of family to self-brand so that they can attract employees who come work for them, who then invest emotionally into this company because the company is projecting family and put in hours that they otherwise would not have put in. And then what happens when time gets a little tough, when the market takes a turn? Where's Ohana now? 10% of Salesforce was released. And now the analysts are saying there's going to be another 5%, 10%. And I'm not questioning the need to do that in business. I'm not pointing fingers at Mark Benioff. But I am questioning this branding strategy that he cultivated. And to me, that is having your cake and eating it too. Because you go perpetuate this brand, hire employees who put go above and beyond, emotionally invest themselves on the basis and predicated that this is a family. I don't see how you rationalize this philosophy Ohana with the business, because at the end of the day, it's not. It's a business. And the relationships with the people in the company that you nurture could become family-esque. And that's, I think, a world of difference. And I think companies have almost co-opted that natural dynamic of relationships that might evolve between their employees. They've co-opted that as, oh, family metaphor. (laughs) This is not a family. Leah, you did say something here. Oftentimes, they're just the messenger, right? So I think this is a great point that we've gotten to, which is, okay, if you're a Dylan and you're coming into this, one, know it's your first job, look for signs, be aware when this negotiation or this firing starts happening, think about your leverage opportunities, think about your rights, and also look at what they're offering you, push back a little bit, and maybe broach some topics. We'll get into that. But I think also... To your point, realize that this is just a person across from you trying to do what they're supposed to do. The other point is the people in the room with you, like the people in the room with Dylan, HR, his boss, whatever, probably aren't empowered to actually make any decisions about his Mm. severance package. It's a great point. It's another good reason to be like, cool, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to take a step back. But they can communicate. They can read the signals that you're sending and then communicate it to whoever it is, the CFO, whoever yeah. is responsible. So you're right. That's why it is important to approach these as negotiations. Don't approach it as a lawyer. I don't think any company wants to deal with an employee who's litigious, but you have the right to approach it as a negotiation. The moment you get your grasp, your head around the psychology and instill confidence in yourself that you have a right to inquire about this, then data is important at the end of the day, right? And so where does the data come from? Well, the first set of data is, your own personal view of your performance. And this is important, actually, because for a few reasons. First off, we all know sometimes you're not evaluated fairly. And we've been on discussions in the past, of course, where either for gender reasons or racial reasons or whatever reasons, cultural reasons. But what's your own view of your performance? Were you a purposeful, quiet quitter? And frankly, you weren't doing the work and you didn't care and you were trying to get fired? That's a world of difference. I would say if you're one of those I don't think we're here to kind of advocate for you on the show, on this episode, <laughs> to go represent yourself. On the flip side, your own personal subjective view is, hey, I actually perform well. Generally, my managers have spoken well about me, my work. I think that's the first piece of data you should arm yourself with. The second is the objective record of performance. Let's abstract yourself out of the situation and say, okay, well, what has my manager verbally spoken to me or in a written fashion via a review written? And this is where you'll either see an overlap between your subjective record performance with the objective or basically conflicting accounts. And if there's an overlap that strengthens your case, and you should be very confident, I would say, at that point. But if there's not, it's still not the end of the day, right? Because 
companies are wary, for example, that they can't discriminate against you. And the final point I'll mention here is the cultural fit. And to me, this is the most kind of murky, mysterious, shady one. Admittedly, companies do have a right to define culture and say, hey, do I deem you to be a a company X person? And I know from my background working at Wall Street, they were very loud and open about the fact that, hey, in order for you to be a Solomon Smith Barney or whatever investment banking person, you need to fit X, Y, and Z. And some of that was the way you dressed. A lot of that was your worldview. By the way, the worldview back then was almost this moral agnosticism of sorts. It's not about social good. It's about profit. Whereas that was kind of the historical precedent. You have now companies, namely tech companies, probably leading the bandwagon here, where the pendulum has swung to the other side and that worldview has changed. It's gone from a moral agnosticism where profit trumps social good to the exact opposite. Social good and focusing on DE&I trumps profits. But in both cases, I recall 15, 20 years ago when I started as an analyst at investment bank, you could get canceled for either reason. You could have got canceled because you didn't buy into the fact that profit trumped social good. And now you can also get canceled because you don't believe that social good should trump profits. But both cases, cultural fit could come into play as to why you're getting terminated. And you should evaluate this. I would say in a case where, particularly if your subjective and objective record performance are strong, and the cultural fit is really the only dimension that the company is laying claim, I would say if that's the reason why, you have a really strong hand. Let's say just for a thought experiment, Dylan wasn't getting fired because of budget cuts, but it was, okay, that's actually just a cultural fit. Is that really, when you look at your rights and some of the things we've talked about, can really someone just fire you because of like a not being a cultural fit? It seems hard to define that, right? Let's say he was just bombarding people with emails and messages and whatever about whatever political view he had. I think in that, but if it's just a general, his vibes were off. <laughs> Matt and I did one show about bringing your full self to work. And if you haven't heard this episode, you should go and listen to it. The person in this story, in that story, I should say. I think it was Jamie in that story. Yeah, well, he was a fan of Dio and karaoke. He was someone who maybe brought a quirky energy and was rude, maybe asked some questions that weren't considered socially acceptable. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't mean. If Jamie is in that situation or Dylan's in that situation, should they feel like they have a lot more leverage? to go, well, wait a second, my performance objectively, subjectively isn't in question here. But I think to say, hey, I'm really had been given the impression by this employer that I was doing a great job. I've had great reviews, et cetera. And I'd really like to understand where this is coming from and what the compensation package looks like, et cetera, just to give the people on the phone or on the Zoom an idea of where you might be coming from, but still remain likable, because I like to remain likable. That's kind of where, also, from Dylan's perspective, one more thing. If HR and someone senior puts a last minute (laughs) meeting on your calendar, whether it is online or in person, okay, (laughs) especially early in the morning, that should be a red flag. And maybe it's nothing. Maybe they're restructuring and you're just getting a new position, heading up a pod or whatever. But you should be actively taking notes and be prepared for that. Half the battle here is preparation. And how are you prepared if you're not expecting it? I do think there's some level of intention with catching the employee by surprise. Because if you do, they're less likely to prepare a case. 
And that's how we treat family. <laughs> They're less likely to download all of the amazing documents and work that they've done for the company. Right. So they have it as uh, reference yeah. for their next job, all of that. Or sabotage you. All the more reason to be looking for the signals, right? To Leia's point, totally agree. You should not be approaching these discussions as a lawyer, or like a pretend lawyer, a full lawyer. Yeah. It's about just being prepared and inquiring. And I think half the battle is asking the questions, presenting some of the evidence you have, which is, again, the subjective and objective record performance. And I'll just go back and say, if particularly you believe that falls within the cultural dimension, which ultimately could be a justifiable reason for the company to let you go in as long as it doesn't violate one of the acts, whether it's racial or gender or age-based or I guess genetic, whatever it is, they can. But if you just broach the topic and inquire, just asking, not like Dylan, you'll be surprised how far you get and just the options that may be laid in front of you. I have two more tips. If you're on Zoom, you can click the button to record the meeting or ask, is everyone okay with this meeting being recorded? For, you can, yep. worth asking. All they can say is no. And secondly, if you ask a question like Matt's talking about, you can just mute yourself and let them talk and try to push through the awkward silences because sometimes people will say things to fill awkward silences that maybe they wouldn't have said. Otherwise, I use this tactic in all kinds of uncomfortable meetings. One thing that Dylan didn't do, he didn't even inquire he went zombie, and then next thing you know, he's just nodding his head and then getting an email for a subscription for career services. $49.99. That's what a LinkedIn premium subscription is, $49.99. <laughs> I know this sounds so simple. When you're in the moment, it's always harder to operate. Both of you said that these people who are probably doing the firing may not have all the decision-making problem, but they're messengers. They can actually communicate something on your behalf. Okay, if that's true, what about then how you broach the topic? Leah, you just said, I like being nice. I like being likable. I know you were kind of joking, but at the same time, killing people with kindness, yeah. even though you're feeling you might want to put them in the sharpshooter or roundhouse kick someone to the face, you can't enact that. In the same way that there is some liability that companies have to not discriminate and they might be worried about and want you to sign a waiver for Ultimately, there is no federal or state legislation that requires employers to offer severance. That is important. There's not a federal or state requirement that companies have to provide severance. It's an agreement. It's a private agreement between an employer and employee. And in as far as that's the case, then there is then benefit to approach it mild mannered. Let's say you don't have to be smiling during the negotiations, <laughs> but like it benefits you to be mild mannered and reasonable. But you should still inquire, prepare, have the documents. Another piece of preparation is look at the history track record here. So try to track down over the course of the last two, three, four, five years, what, if any type of severance packages said company has provided others in any position, right? So if they've provided severance of any type for a position similar to yours or more executive to yours, that could be a basis for you to ask. Well, you can ask your peers, obviously, or honestly, when you reach out to someone after they've been laid off, but you can also look a lot of that up on Fishbowl and other places. I mean, to me, it's like the the shit sandwich or however you want to put it, where you do the positive, <laughs> negative, positive, where you're like, you know, really sad to hear this, but obviously want to understand how I'm going to continue to, in the interim, while I'm searching for a job, pay my rent, take care of my family, what's going to happen with my benefits? Right. Can you let me know if they're what's happening with any sort of severance. I mean, obviously, I would have probably written myself a script and be better prepared. You don't use the shit sandwich, Matt. You don't do yes, that. Like yeah. that positive, well, negative, positive. You just squeeze it in there. It doesn't evoke the best of imagery. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've been in a situation, again, this is early on in my career, where the emotion of getting fired, even when I thought it was not justified, kind of overcame me. And I wasn't particularly nice to the person who was delivering the information. But in these situations where you have to be very thoughtful and measured, you can tell I'm angry from six (laughs) miles away. Listen to Matt and Leah. Don't overreact. Come prepared. And realize that this person, by the way, you could be working with this person a few years from now, or they could be an advocate of yours in terms of how you manage this. Why don't we close out with this? With remote work, with the push and pull, with hybrid, with get back to the office, with AI, with the advancement of technology, is being fired going to have the same kind of stigma that it did maybe in the 1970s when you're in an industrial town like Cleveland and when you lost your factory job, you lost everything and getting a new one meant you had to climb Mount Everest. Now, is it In a place now where people are looking more, hey, this is part of the game. In 2023 and beyond, everyone's just going to be job jumping. It's like being in the NBA. You just know you're there for two or three years, most likely, and you're getting traded. Talking to my parents about things like being laid off, being fired, job hopping, their opinion about it obviously is very old world. And so I've always found myself arguing, no, these companies aren't giving fair raises on an annual basis. They're not treating people well. They're just talking the talk, but not always walking the walk. But my behavior sometimes is more in line with the boomer perspective, I think. But my attitude Hmm. about it, my sort of realism about it is more, is a little bit more modern, if that makes sense. I think the perspective from people globally or overall has changed around layoffs. I mean, I'm happy to interview someone who has just been laid off or has just had a contract ended without immediate suspicion that it's something they're doing wrong. Or even someone who has a resume, especially if they're younger, someone in their 20s who has a resume where they've been somewhere a year or two years and then moved. And that's happened a couple of times. I'm not as immediately suspicious of that as I think someone 10 or 20 years my senior would be. The analogy we talked about, Aaron, earlier was in the 50s, 60s, a firing for a mid-level professional or an executive was the material for an independent movie in Sundance. It was Death of the Salesman. (laughs) It was a tragedy that you could build a play on, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I almost feel sad to say we've gotten so cynical, partially because of these metaphors and branding campaigns that companies have done and not followed by or haven't lived up to there's a very apparent lack of trust between both sides, the employer and the employee. I fully expect that as that plays out more, people will be let go for cultural reasons or reasons that don't have to do with your productivity as companies adopt more of this Ohana philosophy that that gives them permission more to do that type of thing, then you're not going to hold it against them. I'll be the first one to say that as a startup, when folks left companies, when they left of their own volition, it was a little easier, obviously, and they would admit to it afterwards because For us, that was a sign of they didn't fit. And usually if you didn't fit a big corporate cog, that was a really good indication that you wanted to actually do quality work and work for yourself and build something bigger. But I feel like there's a level of productivity that you do at a small business venture or small startup and then at a big company that is just, there's a step function difference. And so someone who willingly leaves the big company and gives that up, it's a good sign. And so those type of misfits were the types we love to hire and we love to work with. But back to your point, I am worried about the trust factor. And 
does it just become so cynical between the employee and employer where it's, we're all freelancers, right? We're all like, to your point, LeBron James jumping cities. It's hard to build an eight-year dynasty like the Chicago Bulls because Jordan was around for that long. It's a hard thing to build something of substance when you just have churn all the time and everybody's a freelancer. Is it true then of companies that there was more of an earnest attempt by companies historically to put a premium on building longevity and sustainability? Have they sort of lost their way? Has the cynicism kind of been both sides, right? Where we can say, okay, oh no, the new job jumper, the new millennial, they're clocking out on Monday. They're just preparing to get fired so they can use it as a business. Or is that just a response to the way that they feel that companies have treated people in more recent history? I do agree that companies, it was like I was complaining earlier about good people being laid off. Instead of saying, hey, we know this is a quality employee, we want to help them grow and maybe shift them around within this organization, which maybe happens more in banks or in consulting than it does in, say, marketing. You're not building the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Chicago Bulls anymore. They're just like, oh, we'll get rid of them. And maybe if they liked it here in a few years, they'll come back. It's depressing, isn't it? I hate it. (laughs) I hate how companies will just ax good people. Right. I think it's fair to say, how do we get here? I do think anybody listening to podcasts who just thinks about this, they know there's some level of distrust that's partially historical precedent, just the nature of being a corporation companies, but then some of it is a little maybe dialed up more in the last five, 10 years. And the question you have to ask yourself is chicken or the egg. Who was Mm. responsible for this distrust, the employer or the employee? Is it the employee who's taken advantage of the situation and signed on for two, three jobs at a time? Or is it the company's responsible for false promises in the past, binging with hiring during the good times only to let them off suddenly and dramatically in the downtimes? Who's responsible? Whoever it is, what we do know is there's distrust. And how that manifests itself is in employees taking on multiple jobs and ultimately companies laying you off with emails, laying you off remotely with whatever the reasons are, whoever's responsible. It's just not viable. It's not a tenable situation. And you do need to have some baseline of trust, right? You can't have the relationship between employers and employees be like the blockchain. It's permissionless and trustless. Everything in this world operates on trust, even if it's a bare minimum. What inspired this show was there are layoffs happening, but you could trust, I think, a good number of companies where if you inquired about the possibility of severance for X, Y, and Z reasons, you didn't have a heads up, you have family to take care of, that they will at least respond. But you do have to inquire. And I think that's what we're learning from this episode with Dylan. He didn't inquire. He's just completely naive. And that's not a position to be in. But Lay, does your personal brand, I mean, like, so back to personal brand, I think you evaded okay. the question a bit because, you know, you're in a <laughs> unique did. situation where you do have a bit of influence, soft power yeah. associated with your own personal brand. And that could play a role where a company doesn't want to mistreat you because you have your own audience now you've cultivated as a creator in the creator economy, right? Yeah. That dynamic only increases moving forward as more creators in the creator economy build legions of followers. There's a recruiter on TikTok who was featured in a bunch of different publications recently who had been a recruiter at Meta and at LinkedIn. At first, Meta was really excited about her social media presence and then kind of did an about face and kept bringing her into HR meetings about it and how it was potentially negative for the brand. So I think companies are, they're of two minds. They're like, oh, this is great. You can talk about company perks. You could do like a day in the life at Google and show all of our free food. But then they're also 
mildly terrified that you'll turn around and say something that they don't want you to say because that's not the corporate branding that they want put out in the world. Dylan said, whether we believe it or not, that he was one of the best there. If you are, you got to act like it. And if you act like it, and not in an arrogant way, but know your worth and know that you to even broach the conversation about severance means that you know that in this tough situation, you deserve to be treated fairly. So push for that as much as you can. Advocate for yourself and your worth. They don't always have that power. And to Leah's point and Matt's last question, I would say my advice for Dylan is, listen, you work really, really hard, but at the same time, maybe you pace yourself a little bit. Realize of how to negotiate that energy spend. Is that mild quitting versus quiet quitting? Uh I love that. That's a new phrase. Just not killing yourself. (laughs) Also, Dylan, start your own blog and start writing your own stuff. (laughs) <laughs> no, this is the future. I'm telling you. Yeah, Start your own thing. Lance. Leia has it. It's how I built my company. You build a personal brand for yourself and you put yourself in that power dynamic where you have that power. That's the thing. No matter what, you always have that to rely on. Because at the end of the day, this is just my opinion, work is great. Business is great. You have your family. But at the end of the day, when it comes to some of these companies, all you have is yourself. <laughs> That's all you got. All right. <laughs> I'm just teasing. This was great. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning in to The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. 